Okay. Good morning. So I've been suitably introduced and, and probably more than I need to be. So I appreciate that. So my name is Mike Thornburg, and I'm one of the elders here at Greenbelt, and I've got a message for you today. And uh, some of it has to do with this candy, so I don't know if you're being tempted now by looking at that candy. It looks pretty good, eh? It'll be available at the end of the service if you want to come up. So a few times ago, I'm kind of uh, continuing on a series I was working on, uh, a little bit of a series. So the first time I spoke a couple times ago about the need many of us have to wear a mask around fellow believers to cover who we think we truly are, to protect ourselves, others from seeing our true selves. So mask wearing is triggered by unresolved sin, and we use them to hide our guilt or our hurt. But what is this true self we're trying to hide? It might be our shame self. We want to hide our unresolved sin from others. So looking at the situation again, we wear masks to cover our shame, but where does the shame come from? So we're kind of stepping back from shame as well. And it has its roots in sin as well. But it may not be the actions of the shamed person. It may be the sinful actions of an abuser that inflicts shame on another. Today we want to dig deeper and discover the cause of the pattern of sin in our lives that results in shame. Because there's a cycle of falling into committing sin that sets ourselves up for the act and results in shame and hopelessness. So I'm talking about the cycle of falling into sin that sets ourselves up to commit the act and results in the end in shame and hopelessness and results in it happening again. So I'll be talking about God's grace when trapped in a cycle of sin. So let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom this morning to, to minister into our lives. Uh, speak through my, my humble words, Lord, my weak words, and uh, that you be glorified. just want to lift up this uh, Humboldt, Saskatchewan as well, and the, the pain they're going through having lost their hockey team coach as well. We pray, Lord, that you would minister uh, peace to them, that you would bring healing to that community, some kind of understanding and hope going forward, Lord, that we just ask that your, your care and your love would be manifest in that situation. In Jesus' name, thank you for today. Amen. So the sin cycle is a set of beliefs which lead us closer and closer to what Paul calls evil acts. The pattern starts when someone casually starts thinking about the possibility of falling into bad behavior, then moving deeper into planning the event, then acting out, and then experiencing the consequences. Unfortunately, by then, the belief system is so damaged that at the end of the process, the person is just being set up for next time. We're looking at the cycle that's so common in our lives that we can so that we can recognize it and anticipate the consequences. So I'm speaking about it not to get us depressed. It's kind of a sad story I'll be talking, but we want to be able to recognize that it's starting to happen in our lives. If we, if we do come to this place of acting out, how can we resolve it? We remember there's, there's consequences beyond 
committing the act as well. So the first part of the cycle takes us more and more into contemplating and planning the event. I wondered if you're falling down that rabbit hole now, in a sense, in your life. You're starting to think about doing something, you know, against God's will for you, but you're kind of, you're stuck, you're not sure what to do. And then once we act out, other consequences inevitably follow that damage our spirits, our relationships, and our walk with God. If we stop ourselves in this downward spiral, we can avoid the evil act altogether. And if we're beyond the act, we can reach out to God in repentance so that the cycle won't happen again. That's the problem, you know. That's the problem. If we're only once and we face up to the consequences, we can bring some closure to the pain and the guilt. But if we're trapped in a cycle of sin, a cycle of sin, we're in bondage and have to find a way to break free. I've experienced that cycle of sin, confess, repeat, sin, confess, repeat, over and over in my own life. And I know what it's like to be trapped in the grip of behavior that dishonors the Lord, but one one in which I can't break free from in my own strength or by my own determination. I'm certainly repentant in the end and grateful that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. But, But that does not seem to have much effect when the next opportunity comes about. So all of us experience temptation to do what is not honoring to God. Can we all agree with that? The enemy is constantly tempting us with different things. It's part of our fallen nature. It's part of the lost world around us and the spiritual enemy who is constantly looking for the chance to lead us into failure. But most of the time when we're tempted, we can simply say no since the power of sin is broken in us in that area because of Jesus. So I'm really tempted to uh, indulge in some of those jelly beans. They look really good, and they're just within an arm's reach of me. But I'm going to say, no, I'm not actually on a diet. So I'm trying to stay away from sugar. And uh, so I'm I'm not in bondage to those jelly beans. I'm not in bondage to eating that sugar. But there's other areas in our lives that we really can get stuck and in a loop on. Sometimes the temptation before us triggers a hidden pattern of sin inside that has developed over the years and is very hard to break. So it's triggering something in our lives, a hidden pattern of sin. Here's a simple example. I grew up as an only child and I found overeating, eating sweets especially as a way I could feel better when I felt alone. It didn't help that my mother loved baking and she made these wonderful cakes and pies and pastries and so on all the time and other delicious things. So if, if I was presented with the temptation to indulge, my, naturally, my natural inclina- inclination would be to give me the go-ahead to do that. But today I want to talk about the process we go through in our minds when, we're, when we set ourselves up to sin be it giving in to a desire for candy at one end, or maybe underestimating our income at tax time, maybe slandering somebody at work so that we can get ahead, to even be willing to break the sanctity of marriage at another extreme. (coughs) Is there something you've been thinking about doing that you're sure you can get away with, but you know would would harm your relationship with God? So let's get, go through some of these steps. So the first step in the process is called discontentment. I call it discontentment. 
We're not content with what God has provided for us. This is the origin of our plan to give in temptation. It's when the thought of what we could do comes to mind. We might see our neighbor with a new car and think, gee, I wish I could have that new car, even though we're in debt up as high as we can and we can't afford the car. Or we think about telling a simple white lie to the police to explain why we were speeding. Or maybe finding a way to seek revenge on someone who has hurt us. Or entering into a relationship that would hurt your family or others. Matthew writes in his Gospel, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what define a person. And Paul wrote that these thoughts are common to all men. It's what we decide to do with them that matters. So that's the first step in our downfall and sense, discontentment. The next step in this circle, circle of sin, confess, repeat, is unhealthy self-thoughts. And this is, is when our sin nature brings up many unhealthy self-thoughts. We have these thoughts realizing that they are wrong, but we think, why should I fight the temptation? I've been there before, and I've got away with it. It's really not that bad. It's really not that bad. Everyone else is doing it. I've seen it online. I'm not the only one by any means. Or I'm just a bad person anyway. It's just what people would expect of me. So we start thinking these things about ourselves, and then we feel sorry for ourselves, and we get self-entitlement kicking in. We think, I deserve this. I owe this to myself. God does not understand me or doesn't care. And we begin to demean ourselves and create lies about ourselves to make sense of why we have a right to do what is wrong. At first we feel that the wrong is in fact right. Sometimes it's because of the pain we're suffering. Sometimes pain from the past makes us feel our giving in will soothe the pain or resolve the pain. So lies in our minds become permission we give ourselves to find meaning in something less than healthy relationships. Permission to fail, permission to take the risk at all costs. So we've given ourselves permission to go ahead. These unhealthy thoughts about ourselves give us the justification we need to go further. So step three in this circle is temptation. So once we're convinced that we have the right to fail, we're hooked. We're hooked and there's no stopping us. We're ready to plot a move and to plan the next steps. Temptation has fully set in. If we see God as far off and aloof to our needs, our hurts, our failures, we try to solve the hurt by ourselves, as God is not able to help. I've read somewhere, the story of me not being enough is like rocket fuel for our intentions. The story of me not being enough is like rocket fuel, just stirs up and empowers our intentions. But by this time, without another's help, it's almost too late to abort. It's almost too late to turn back and do the right thing. Paul writes in Romans 7, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, Paul goes on, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law and work in, work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. But he goes on to say, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So Paul is not saying that it's okay to fall into sin. He's not saying that at all. But he's recognizing that it's a part of our sin nature to give in to those desires. And he has found hope and healing in Jesus Christ. But we'll look more to that later. The next step is resistance. So we've moved to the point of temptation. We're convinced we're going to go ahead. But still, you know, our spirit, or the Holy Spirit is convicting us. We're thinking, wow, I really should hold back and not do this. And we're aware of the desperate state and the awfulness of what we're planning to do. We might try to stuff the thoughts away or medicate them away, drugs and alcohol and so on, or overcome them by strenuous effort. We look to God for understanding, but God's grace is not soft on sin. Paul writes that although we are to resist the devil, we can hold back the devil and what he's doing. We're to crucify, we're to kill completely our desires. Problem is the delay only heightens the promised pleasure of acting out. It makes the payoff even bigger when we finally cave in. The next step is hiddenness. And now we're preoccupied with a sin in isolation. We isolate ourselves and hide our temptation from others, knowing that our resistance is not going to be enough to stop us moving ahead. Proverbs 2.11 says, Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. At this point, if we were to reach out to others, at any point really, if we were to reach out to others to get their advice and prayers, if we were to confess our dark plans to another, the power of sin would be broken and we would be free. So if we were to reach out to others to get their advice and their prayers on our behalf, if we were to confess our plans to another, the power of sin would be broken and we would be free. But instead, we often hide what's going on in our minds. We go into hiding to plot the event. What are our next steps? How will we manage the consequences? We become obsessed with the promised pleasure of our sin. And James writes in chapter 1, verse 13, Remember, when you're tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So we wait for an opportunity at the perfect time, in the perfect place, and perhaps with the perfect person. Let's look at the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, and this will be very familiar to you. I'll just read from Genesis Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it 
or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So Adam and Eve were the first man and woman on earth living an idyllic, idyllic life in the Garden of Eden. They had food to eat, they had work to do, and they were walking one-on-one with the Lord God. They knew God personally. They had all the freedom they needed except for that one constraint, not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. The fruit on the tree looked tempting, and I'm sure they wondered for a while what it would taste like. Then Satan came along in the form of a serpent, and he told Eve that if she ate the forbidden fruit, she would gain wisdom and be like God. She may have thought she deserved to have more knowledge, or eating it could not be that bad, knowing that God loved her, and he wouldn't mind, really. Would he really mind? But once Eve had reached this point by buying into the lies of the devil, it was too late. By the way, Adam was with her all along and agreed with her decision. He felt he deserved more wisdom as well. Was it easy for them to make that decision to break God's law? Did it happen right away or did, was there a delay? Was there time spent thinking about it before they went ahead? We don't know. Finally, they acted out. Acting out or committing the sin we imagine to do really does deliver the pleasure it promises. If you know the story, he tried twice to have Uriah, her husband, uh, brought home to spend, spend time with his wife from the battlefield. He tried it twice, but Uriah refused. And the end, in the end, David had him killed to cover his sin. How well did he handle the consequences? So we're down almost at the bottom. We're at the bottom of the loop. We've acted out. Now, what are the consequences from our actions? Is this okay? Is this a little too depressing? Do you want me to stop now? Or uh... <laughs> So the cycle doesn't end. Let's turn back to our account at the garden. Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So Adam and Eve hide from the Lord God in the garden as a consequence. Before they weren't ashamed of who they were, but now they see themselves in a new light and are afraid of being exposed to the world. They are afraid of God seeing them in this new state. Have you seen this pattern before, perhaps in your own life? We become afraid because something we did or was done to us makes us feel naked or exposed. Nothing can be more vulnerable than nakedness. Then we hide ourselves so others won't see. 
So we withdraw from others because we're afraid that they will suspect what we have done. We withdraw in case we slip up by saying something. We withdraw in case guilt will show in our face. And that's time to put the mask on, for sure. We have to hide, just like Adam and Eve. Confronted by what we have done, the pleasure quickly turns to sorrow. What a sad state sin has left us in. What a miserable state we're left in because of our sin. So Adam and Eve covered their nakedness with fig leaves, and it worked. No more shame, no more hiding, and they lived happily ever after. Well, not so much. So the next step, yeah, the next step in the downward spiral is justification. So we've withdrawn from others. Now our sin nature takes another turn of self-protection. We think, what I did was really not that bad. No one got hurt. I can get over this. I can move on. We think that no one needs to know, or we look to rationalizing the act. It was really okay what I did. But our action still leaves the guilt in our heart. Even though Jesus offers us justification by faith in him, he's already paid the price for my disobedience on the cross. But we need to face what we have done, not pretend that it was not important or forgiven, but we need to face what we have done, not pretend that it was not important. We're not justifying ourselves. The next step is blame. What do we do to resolve the guilt in our hearts? Often when we're confronted by the sin sin and when we feel guilty, we try to establish the guilt by blaming. Blaming others, blaming the situation, blaming God. Here's Adam's defense. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And Eve's response was, the servant deceived me and I ate When we fall from grace with God, someone or someone else, something else must be held accountable for my choice. Or we might say, my circumstances have caused me to fail. I'm too weak, and so on. Looking back at David again, he decided to use someone else to satisfy his sin, Bathsheba. Fact is, he had many wives and really didn't need another one. And next comes the inevitable, which is shame. Shame for what we did because the blame game didn't work as well as we expected. Shame because the Holy Spirit has been convicting us of sin, and we take the blame onto ourselves instead of putting it on Jesus, our Savior who died to take our sin onto himself. Shame is reinforced by the original lies we believed. We add another layer to our false self-story, which we put on, put together at the beginning of the, of the, of the loop. Something, now we say something's uniquely wrong with me, uniquely wrong with me. It wasn't just that I've done something wrong. I am now convinced that something is terribly wrong with me. You'll remember that shame is different from guilt. Guilt is about what I did. Shame is about who I am. Guilt wants to lead us to forgiveness. Shame drives us to hide as we are convinced that we cannot truly be forgiven or made clean. Shame is a negative assessment of our very being. So even after Adam and Eve covered themselves, Scripture says they still hid. Sin management will never work, and covering our shame is never the answer. 
So at this stage of my story, there's little left to support my spirit. I've come to believe I can't be trusted. I can't trust myself. I want to trust no one. Christ has not made a difference, even though we said we were sorry. I've always been this way and always will be. We've said sorry before and asked for God's help, but it's happened again. I don't care anymore. Again, I can't be trusted and I can't trust anyone else and I want to trust no one. Christ has not made a difference. I've always been this way. I'm always going to be the same. I'll never change. And you know what? I don't really care. Do you remember Paul's take on his miserable state? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So again, we've gone through the cycle. Discontentment, unhealthy self-thoughts, temptation, resistance, hiddenness, and then acting out. And the consequences, withdrawing from others, justification, blame, shame, and finally, loss of hope. So, what are we left with at the end? We're left with an empty, hollow heart. The sin-confessed cycle is over. But now I'm resigned to my behavior and I don't struggle it against it as much. But I think maybe I'm different now. Just maybe I've grown up. I've had some time with no temptation, which proves I'm gaining control of the sin. Yeah, I must be good now. It's been quite a while. I've grown up. I must have resolved it somehow. I'm gaining control of my sin. But in the background in my heart, unresolved issues are buried alive in me. The issues that originally started my downfall are still alive and active in my life, though they're hidden. I felt that, I've felt that feeling personally, that there's a sinful part of me somewhere inside, and I've hidden them really well but it leaves me with a sick feeling inside. Sometimes I do something wrong or feel guilty about something and I can kind of hide it away or stuff it away inside and then the guilt and the feelings go away, but I feel kind of sick. There's still something hanging around inside. There's those issues that are still alive. They're buried alive. They're not dead. They haven't been put to the foot of the cross. They're still working inside me, hidden. So you see, issues that are not brought to Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing are never removed from our heart. Our minds can carefully hide them away so as not to disturb our day-to-day living. But they lurk inside, weighing down our spirits and setting ourselves up for the next time around. So I ask the question, why would we let it happen again? Why would we let it happen again? If we've gone through the cycle, we know the consequences of that sin, why would, we, why would it occur again? Why would we let it happen? Because we've not dealt with the root cause of the temptation. For me, I was trapped in the sin, confess, repeat cycle. Sin, confess, repeat. Sin, confess, repeat. I truly began to doubt if there was any hope for me. Have you ever felt that way, having lost hope of ever breaking into freedom? Let me tell you, there is great hope. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I used to think that the prayer aspect of that verse was the most important, 
Now I see that the first thing that needs to be done to, re to receive freedom is to speak out, admitting your weakness to another. By not hiding secrets, but by bringing them into the light, the darkness of self-deception and the lies of the enemy will be dispelled. Light destroys the darkness. Share your struggles with a trusted friend or support group. Let them pray for you and with you and with you as you seek victory. So it's the confessing your sins to one another, to each other, as well as praying that's really important. If you hide those feelings inside and you don't let other people know, then the enemy is, has freedom to attack and our flesh is going to hold on to that and we won't be able to, we won't be free. So share those areas with a trusted friend, with a trusted support group. And, and allow God through the prayers to work in your life. If I choose not to disclose what I've been doing, the next step is inevitable. But if I tell another, the madness stops and the power of sin is broken. The power of sin is broken simply in telling. So just in closing, um, I want to read some verses from Ephesians. This is from Ephesians 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer for you is that you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of those patterns of your life that need to change and allow Him to bring you freedom. Please take advantage of the prayer room at the end of the service. There will be people there who can pray for you. If you have other more questions of a deeper nature, please come and speak to me. I want us all, I'd love to see us all free of these areas in our lives. Like, similar to uh, pornography, it's one of those things that many of us are involved in. And the first time through, we feel we've gone through the that cycle and we're very much aware of what's happening to us. But the more it happens, the more it happens, it just seems so natural. We skip over the, some of these points and we realize we're hooked, but how do we get out? How do we get out? And uh, uh, let me tell you, there's great hope. God will break you free from that cycle. And uh, please reach out to someone for prayer. So let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, we just lift uh, up our needs before you this morning. If there's an area in our lives that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about, convicting us about, that we need to bring before you, lay at the cross on your behalf, we know we have the forgiveness in Jesus Christ, but we want to be free of the bondage of holding on to that. Lord, break us free of, of that that bondage the enemy has in our lives and that our flesh would desire. 
Lord, I know that there's hope. I've seen it in my life. There is freedom available. I pray that you provide that for each one of us as we come before you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.